0: So um, we're going to do another bit of revision from last week to prepare ourselves to hear from God. And we're just going to take a few deep breaths and, uh, and we're going to do a prayer uh, to prepare our hearts to hear. So this is a, a breath prayer that we talked about last week, which is very simple. As you inhale, you say a name of God. And as you exhale, you express your desire for God to do something in your life. So here's the prayer we're going to use, just very quietly. As you inhale, you're going to go, Living God, speak to me. Living God, speak to me. And the way you do it is this. You, you, you sit comfortably, so just relax, uncross your legs, and you breathe from your belly. So what you really want to do is, and through your nose, you want to feel your belly go out, and out. So we'll just do a few deep breaths, just to center ourselves. God is here with us now. He loves you. And so let's pray. And just as you breathe in, living God, and as you let the air out through your nose, speak to me. Living God, speak to me. living God, speak to me and open your eyes and what a privilege it is, isn't it, to be in the presence of a God who communicates with us, who loves us, who is here with us and uh, I'm so glad we can do this together in this busy time, this busy season to be here to to pay attention to God and to learn and to pay attention to each other and to learn from each other Uh, and so this morning as we are into Advent uh, I, I wanted to ask you this question as you think about the world The question is this, if you were God, how would you fix the world? If you were God, how would you fix the world? Got some ideas? What did you do? Like, look at the world. It's wonderful, but it's a bit of a mess, eh? So how would you fix the world? Uh, Turn to the person next to you and give them your top idea. How would you fix the world if you were God? Go. If you don't have someone next to you, move around, say hi, introduce yourself, just quickly. How would you fix the world? Okay, Uh, so let's have a bit of a think, Um, maybe, Liz, do you want to just take this around and uh, if you've come up with any ideas for how you'd fix the world if you were God, Liz will bring the microphone around so the Zoomers can... So the Zoomers can hear what we're saying. OK, stick your hand up. If you've had a great idea or an original idea or an interesting idea of how you'd fix the world, go. And, uh, well, you don't have to run, where, but you can. Send a meteor. Send a meteor to fix the world. OK, that's awesome. Love to follow your God. Just looking at past experience, I'd send my son to show them how it's done.
1: Oh, you'd send your oh, son to show him how
0: it's done. Yep. My brother-in-law would be great at that. Yes, thank you. Yeah, no, awesome. Wipe it out. Wipe it out. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there's some... Uh, okay. Um, Tom said more Greeks. More Greeks. Yeah, okay. I said less Greeks. <laughs> 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 uh, There's no Jew or Gentile or Greek. Uh, That's awesome. Anyone else have any ideas? I mean, these very serious, thoughtful comments about how you'd fix the world. Uh, No change in the world because uh, why would we want to fix anything that God has put into motion? Why are we trying to influence God when He is the ultimate? Okay, beautiful. So it doesn't need fixing. God set it up. It's working its way out and uh, it's all good. That's great. Okay, thank you. Uh, f- fabulous. Uh, we had one serious suggestion and a couple of that were perhaps mm, half serious. Well, here's what I thought: if I were, to, if God, if there's a transcendent, personal God, a creator, which, by the way, I'm I'm not sure what you all think about spiritually, where you are on your journey, but most of us, and, and pretty much every human being that we know of, with a few exceptions has a sense that there's a god of some sort a creator being something beyond us right so we think that pretty much well how would we go about fixing the world if we were this god well the first thing we do is i think um and this makes sense right the how to fix the world Uh, the first thing you do is you'd come. It makes sense, doesn't it, for God to come as a person. Um, and and why, why do I say that? Well, if we think about it for a moment, the, the comments you made about God wiping the world out and starting afresh actually capture a very deep, very real sense that is true of all of us that actually God is kind of scary, And while many of us in our sort of Western world think, oh, I'd love to meet God, it'd be wonderful if God would just show up, the history of Scripture, for example, tells us that when God or one of the spiritual beings, the Elohim that God created, show up, typically that's a seriously terrifying experience for people, right? That's an overwhelmingly terrifying experience. Um. Have you ever had the experience of a, uh, a bird flying into your home or into like a cafe or maybe sometimes even into this church? Is that a, have you ever had that experience? Okay, so imagine for a moment if a, if a bird, one of those chirping birds from outside flew in here and the bird's flying around, and it's getting itself in a complete tizz, and it's knocking its head against the windows. They don't have many brain cells to start with, but they're seriously diminishing them. And, then, and, I, and if you've ever done this, you try to get rid of the bird. So, so you jump up and down, and you wave, and you shout at the bird. Does that help the bird? You, you open the door, and you kind of, like, stupid bird, here's the way out to freedom. And what does the bird do? Well, it just keeps ignoring you and actually being scared of you and flying away from you. So um, how should you most helpfully lead the bird out to freedom and safety? Well, you become a bird and you get alongside the bird and you go, hey, bird, come follow me to freedom. And they go, wow, what sort of bird is this that knows the way to freedom? And then they create a whole cultural festival every year where they say, (laughs) no. You see, that's what the incarnation is. That's what Advent is. That's what Christmas is. One of the ways you'd fix the world up is by coming alongside the people who are most responsible for most of the damage in the world and coming alongside them at their level so that we can actually hear and see and learn and not run away in fear and in uh terror i mean it's interesting in the text we read right Um, uh, (laughs) mary is uh, has a visitation from the angel and um the angel went to her and said greetings you who are highly favored the lord is with you now what is mary's response She's greatly troubled, and she wonders what kind of greeting this is, uh, and I suspect her trouble and her wonderment only got worse as she heard what sort of greeting it was. Um, she's afraid, uh, and the angel says, don't be afraid, Mary. Don't be afraid. So the first way God would fix the world up is by coming as a person to come alongside of us um, to deal with our fear, um, because this, this, is, this is significant, The other way to think of it, right, is that um, you and I all have highly ambivalent relationships with authority figures. (laughs) You know, when you're you're called to go and see the school principal, I don't know if this ever happened to you, you generally are full of fear. You don't assume the principal is just going to call you into his office and go, well, Mark. I just, I was sitting here thinking, and I thought, I just wanted to call you in and tell you how wonderfully happy I am with you and how glad I am to have you in the school and what a wonderful human being you are. I never had that conversation with my school principal. It was more along the lines of, leech, you were talking in assembly, bend over, three whacks with a massive cane later, that was it. Thank you very much, sir, and out you hopped with great big wheels across your backside. That's how we experience God, unless He comes to us as one of us, which is what He does. And what that also does, it deals with our fear, um, but it also deals with our pride. You see, this is how it works. We like to think w- you we like to think that if we're really religious if we're really spiritual, then we can connect with God directly. Don't we? Like, if you come and you do our yoga class or you come to church and you're a good Anglican and you give your money or you're a good whatever and and you're religious and you're moral and you don't sleep around and you observe all the religious boundaries and constraints of your culture, uh, then you will be able to connect with the divine and you'll reach God, right? And that'll be wonderful, well, the problem with that, of course, is that it doesn't work. It doesn't work. That that, that actually we end up just in despair if you try. And we discover that reaching God by ourselves is actually a self-defeating exercise. Because to the extent that we succeed in any way, we become full of pride, and pride is the The root of what's gone wrong with our lives and cut us off from God, so it it defeats us. And this is the the other way it deals with our pride: is this? I want to feel like I'm special, so I can connect directly with God. But God says, "No, you know what? You know how you're going to connect with God through another person, Um, through a person." Like, isn't it funny that the the way God has made himself accessible and available and responsive to the world is through a Jewish peasant, a Jewish tradie, a Jewish nobody? I mean, that humbles us, right? I mean, the Jews are the most persecuted and hated community and despised community that has, that has ever lived. And even today, uh, there's a rise of anti-Semitism all around the world. Even today, uh, there's, there's a great book that's been written, if you if you want to read a book, it's a short little book, it's called Jews Don't Count by an English-Jewish scholar looking at the way Jews are treated and presented in media and in the world today. Jews aren't you know, aren't dark enough to get your woke um, uh, privilege. Um, too white to be woke, but too black to get all the privilege of being white. And you just don't count. And in that world, in the most despised people group that has ever emerged, there you have God showing up and saying to all the proud people of the world, if you really want to know me, you've got to look to a Jewish tradesman living in obscurity two thousand years ago oh but lord i'm much too special for that i mean i live in belmain i'm rich and educated and sophisticated i i I surely need more direct access to you than that well it gets worse not only do you have to look back to a jew back then (laughs) you're all listening to a jew now (laughs) um It gets worse because actually not just did God connect with us in history through a person. How does God most powerfully enter our worlds and speak to us today? Through people? Through a person? That's humbling, right? That's how God fixes up. He comes to us through others. So... This is it, right? This Advent, if you want to, if God's going to fix the world, he's got to humble us. He's got to deal with our pride and our sense that we're unique and special and wonderful and in charge. And he says, well, I'm going to do that by coming in a person, in a Jew, in a despised minority, in obscurity, and then I'm going to continue to come to you through people. So, you know, if you really want to connect with God, you have to be humble enough to encounter God through someone else. You know, like that annoying person that you're married to. <laughs> God comes to you through them. That person sitting next to you even this morning who can't quite sing in tune. That person at work who everybody knows is the religious one, but, but everyone knows is socially awkward and difficult and... Uh, and not very good at their job. That person who's poor and marginalized. Like that's how God, like God comes to us through other people. The gospel comes to us through other people. It deals with our pride because God fixes the world by coming as a person, because it's us as persons who've messed up the world. And the way the world is going to be healed is through relationships being healed. Okay, so you go, okay, God's going to come as a person. The question that you should then ask is, well, uh, what sort of person? What sort of person or people will God use? And you'll see where we're going with this, right? Um, What I love about this Christmas story is uh, God uses a 13-year-old girl and her faithful tradey fiancé living in obscurity in antiquity. <laughs> that's, that's, that's who God uses. Like, this whole journey of God into humanity starts with a 13-year-old woman, girl, so this was a common age at which they were betrothed. So betrothal was a formal arrangement where uh, the, the father of the, um, of the son of the boy would go out looking for a wife and would arrange with the father of a girl to, uh, to, for them to be married, and they would enter an agreement of betrothal, typically when the girl was 13, 14, somewhere around there, uh, and then at a later stage, uh, they would then get married, and that period of betrothal could go, go on for uh, quite some significant period. In the hierarchy of the day, in that arrangement, the most powerful person with the greatest degree of agency was the father of the son, Next most significant, powerful person in that hierarchy was the father of the girl. Who's the third most significant person in that hierarchy? The son. Who's the least important person in that hierarchy? The girl. She is a valuable possession being traded from one family to the other, and the bro- father of the bride would get paid for her. In that context, uh, you, were, you were not to be sexually active in that period of betrothal. And if you had uh, sex, uh, intercourse with somebody else other than your betrothed, it was treated as adultery with all the attendant shame and possible capital punishment that went along with it. Okay. Okay. So what does God do? He comes in to fix the world through a person, and he sets the whole thing in motion by visiting a person who, on any indicator, was at the bottom of the bottom of the social and power hierarchies of their day. And he comes to Mary. Says, you're highly favored. The Lord is with you. She's like, Really? And she was troubled and wondered what kind of greeting this would be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. And you, uh, I mean, really? (laughs) Really? You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. I often wonder what went through Mary's head when she heard that. Have you ever thought about that? Like, imagine. Like, one of the things, here's a helpful way you hear God in Scripture. is You have to imagine if you were Mary. Imagine if you heard that. What would it be like to have an angel and Elohim come to you and say, Hey, God's with you. This is awesome. And, by the way, you're going to conceive. And you're like, Oh, really? But hang on. He's going to be great. This is what your son's going to be like, and he'll be called the son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. So she's going to have this incredible son. And, um, but she understands biology, and she says, how will this be? And Mary asks the angel, since I'm a virgin. And the angel says, well, have I got some good news for you. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And if you're not sure about that, check out your, um, your Auntie Elizabeth, who in her old age has found herself pregnant. God's done that for her, and He's surely going to do this for you, because no word from God will ever fail. And Mary goes, all right, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. And off she goes. What's going on there? God is healing the world by choosing Mary. Why Mary? Why not someone more impressive? Like, I don't know about you, but if it were me, I might choose someone way more impressive and significant and powerful to change the world. I mean, that's what we normally do. Like, if you really want to get something done, you, want you choose someone with agency and influence in the world. Well, this is, this is why. Because what we see here is there are two kingdoms There are two kingdoms uh, at work. And remember, a kingdom is simply the sphere of God's effective reign or will. A kingdom is where, like you have a kingdom, I have a kingdom. My kingdom is the, the area, the space where my will is done. Your kingdom is where your will is done. God's kingdom is where his will is done. So essentially, you can think of all the world as uh, the kingdom of humans and the kingdom of God. And they're different. They're very, very different. And this story introduces us, as it should, to a- acute difference between the two. And the difference is this, how is, and, and it's, it's, it's how, why, how God fixes up the world, okay, so to fix up the world requires an enormous exercise of what? Like to fix something up, to heal the world, to make everything right requires what? Well, it requires an enormous amount of power. So how is God going to bring his power to bear on this messed up, broken world? How is God's power going to break in the world to overcome evil and injustice and suffering and sickness and death itself? How, where is this power going to come from? How is power going to be exercised in the kingdom of God? Okay. I just had to raise my voice to wake you up. But also because it's important. Well, how does so? Let's start with us. How is power exercised in our experience, in in your kingdom, and in my kingdom? How is power exercised? Well, power is typically exercised by uh, in a in a way that um, is self serving and self reinforcing. So if I want to make an impact in the world, I need to have power. And I want to have power, and my power is power over others, and it's power in hierarchies. So what happens in the world is we all have hierarchies naturally form. They're part of life. And hierarchies form as we approach different tasks in the world that require doing, and we discover that in the, ex- in the doing of this task, different people have different kinds of power, and so those with the greatest power to accomplish the task and lead the group in accomplishing the task ascend the hierarchy. Okay? So... Um, give you a simple illustration. Uh, in the hierarchy of the band that played this morning, like our little social system here playing, that's a little system and there was power in the system and there was a hierarchy in the system. And the hierarchy went like this. Who is the person who uh, who has the most power to help us as a band do the work that we want to do together? Well, in this for this week, it was Ben, because Ben is organized and musical and planned and understood it all and told us all the parts that we could do and we could look to Ben and he could keep us all in line and tell us what we had to do. Now, speaking for myself, I didn't execute on his instructions perfectly, but that wasn't his fault, it was mine, because he was using his power and I then submitted to his power. Okay, that's the little hierarchy. I was at the bottom of the hierarchy because I only play one string. What happens in these hierarchies of power, however, in the kingdom of humans, is the power is typically used not just to get the work done, but power is used by the powerful to increase their power, to safeguard their position in the hierarchy at the expense of those who are less powerful than themselves. Just think about your average workplace. Right? Isn't that how power is used? I mean, a lot of people will talk about servant leadership and we're here to serve. But when push comes to shove, don't we all know that there are many, many, perhaps the vast majority of people who, whatever power they have in their office, in their organization, in the end, they are going to be making sure that their position is not touched. They will use their power over others. Now, of course, um, self-serving becomes fixed, becomes fixed. Entrenched. Um, I was talking with uh, my barber this week. You'll notice I had a haircut. You might have noticed. They they lost almost everything through COVID, and had to sell their house to keep paying the rent to keep the business going. And we were talking about this and. And she looked at me and she said, well, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Isn't that right? The other way of saying it is the powerful accrue more power and the weak have whatever agency and power they have taken away from them. Okay. So now let's step back. Um, What is one of, now in, in the inevitable construction of hierarchies in the world, the the way we're meant to use our power is to liberate and serve and empower others. What is one of the most entrenched and, I would say, damaging hierarchies where power is misused that damages humanity? What's the most entrenched sort of category of hierarchies and, and therefore abuse of power? in our humanity. Church? I think there's a more... Men over women. I think church is a subcategory of that. I think there's a gender hierarchy. Gender becomes, in our humanity, as a result of our insecurity and our brokenness and our fear, we use our, well, how does this happen? For the vast majority of our existence, men's greater physical strength has given them more power in the hierarchies that have been constructed and that naturally emerge and uh, as a result, and women's greater vulnerability through childbirth, through having to rear kids, all the dependence and the vulnerability of that uh, their job in their reproductive s- uh, space have made women vulnerable. Their, their lesser physical strength, their, their role in reproduction have made women weaker and more vulnerable and men more powerful. And so what have men done from, and, and the Bible's clear on this, from Genesis chapter 3, what do men do with their greatest power? Well, they create hierarchies within their societies that, that elevate and maintain and preserve that power. Now, not every man always everywhere for sure. But a lot of the time, It's an enduring feature of what has gone wrong in the world. That men will use their power to diminish, to subjugate, to oppress, to constrain, to limit women. one of the things that's most damaging, most damaging in the world. Do you know what, there's so much research, and you would think that even in our society now, we're enlightened third-wave feminist culture where women and men are equal, aren't we? Well, yes and no. Yes, praise God for the amazing advances in understanding uh, the, the equality of women and men. But you've just got to dig beneath the surface and you've got to see how, how young women are oppressed and trafficked and sexualized uh, and pornified. And you go, no, no, this, this oppression of women, the gender hierarchy is still there. Now, of course not everyone you look in marriages, you know, one of the, you know the single greatest predictor of marital success and happiness? At least in some research, the Gottmans, uh, John Gottman in particular. It's equality of power. It's equality of power. That's what makes for a good marriage, is equality of power. Not a hierarchical power where the man has the power now. Okay, so, so even today, if you were a young girl... You are far more likely to be harassed, assaulted, trafficked, enslaved, raped, aborted in utero. In any country that allows gender selected uh, abortion, it is the girls who are aborted. And this is true throughout humanity. Throughout human history, girls are less valuable than men, they have less power, and so they are vulnerable. And abused. Now you say, okay. Well, oh, what do we do with that? Well, now we go to Liz's great point. Uh, religion becomes one of the ways in which humanity perpetuates the brokenness of our society by baptizing hierarchies of inequitable power that are used in selfish ways. And that makes everyone miserable. That's the kingdom of humanity. So you have in pretty much all religions men in control. And now I invoke God as a way of silencing and subjugating women. In our, I'll give you, in our tradition, in many parts of this city, in many parts of conservative Christianity, even today, this is taught. It's called theologically complementarianism. That's a rebranding by conservative people of this understanding of hierarchy, which even 30 years, years ago their own scholars simply called patriarchy there's a whole lot of data to show that within complementarian permanently fixed hierarchically ordered marriages and churches the incidence of domestic violence intimate partner violence sexual abuse is higher than in relationships where there is an equality of power makes sense doesn't it but it's perpetuated it's baptized it's theologized We're told it's how God wants us to be. We're told that to to maintain these gender roles is a way of standing against the culture. And I'd go, no, 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 no. Actually, maintaining these gender roles is a way of simply baptizing the ineluctable human tendency to live out the oppression of others, to preserve my own power, because I'm living in the kingdom of humanity. And that's what I do. And you say, Mark, give me some good news. How does this go back to Mary? An Advent and Christmas, well, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, guess what? Unlike any other human who has ever lived, when God incarnates himself and becomes a man, what he does perfectly from the moment of the announcement of his conception is he overturns the way all power and hierarchies are used and says now, true humanity, the fixing of all relationships comes when we are able to use our power, our agency, whatever status and privilege we have to serve others and to give our lives away for others. And this overturning, this reinstatement, this this vision of the kingdom of heaven starts, well, I would say right from the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, but we see it burst into history in this announcement to Mary. I mean, how does the kingdom of heaven come into the world? Through a woman who's at the bottom of the social hierarchy and she is entrusted to bear within her the good news that the king of the world has come and then to carry that king in her body and then to give birth to the king of the world. And it is women throughout Jesus' ministry at the beginning and at the end who are entrusted with the good news of the kingdom and who bring others to Jesus. In the kingdom of heaven, there is a complete inversion of the hierarchy. If this is the way hierarchies work, in our culture, in the kingdom of heaven, they work this way. The person with the most power is here, and the power is released upwards to serve, rather than pushed downwards to oppress. That's... And we come to Jesus... And power is here for service. There is now in the kingdom of heaven, and we see this in Mary, it's it's extraordinary. Advent is about God coming as a servant. As a servant. And how does God fix the world? Would you know what he does? He comes to us through a woman, through a Jew, through his Holy Spirit, through other people. And now he creates communities like ours where we can model this new way of doing relationships. So in the church, in the people of God, in our community, lived as a large group, but also in our marriages, in our workplaces, we are a people where there is a genuinely true equality of opportunity. (laughs) Like... As Paul says in Galatians 3, there is no more any Jew or Gentile, so ethnicity and culture no longer set up hierarchies of of entrenched power in the kingdom of God. Anyone and everyone can come in. There's no male or female. Gender is no longer a, a barrier for fully exercising your gifts in the kingdom of God, for connecting with God, for being used by God. And there's no male or free, slave uh, or free person. Sorry, no slave or free. So your, your, your social standing, your economic ability, your, what you do, how smart you are, how skinny you are, how gorgeous you are, how whatever you are in the worldly sense has precisely zero contribution to make to how valuable and useful you are in the kingdom of God precisely zero. Do you know how much God cares about what you look like on the outside? Like zip. Nothing. Nada. Not a thing. He doesn't care. Because in the kingdom of heaven, the the God has emptied himself of all those external trappings of power and authority and splendor and impressiveness and said, I'm going to die naked, crucified, stripped of everything, humbled, betrayed, utterly alone. And in that absolute emptiness, and at the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the bottom, that's where God was saving the world and fixing the world. And he says, hey, come. Come now, follow that God. Build a community where we live out that kind of servanthood, that kind of of vision of our humanity, where what matters is not the outside, but what matters is that God has changed our lives and you know what you're a mess i'm a mess you will still use your power to oppress people by the way i mean this is true for all of us by the way like this these dynamics of hierarchy get entrenched in our culture around gender but give me half a chance give you half a chance uh, sin is an equal opportunity employer right we're all prone to it And so what Christmas does and what Jesus does, he says, no, 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 come repent. Find a better way of living in your marriage, in your workplace. Let's live it out as a church. Everyone's welcome. Everyone's valued. God meets us in everyone. It's brilliant. That's what the world needs. That's the kingdom of God that has broken into our world, and that we remember this Advent. It comes to us through Mary, who has found favor in God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your world-fixing, hierarchy-overturning, power-transforming love. And I pray for our little church here that we will be a working model of what it means to follow the servant king, the crucified God, that we'll be a little working community of how across the the divisions of culture, of gender, of socioeconomics, of age, of agency, we'll be this deeply connected community of mutual service. And I pray that you will use us to model this and to draw people into this and to set people free to live with you in this way now and always. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.